I really like that continuing education piece. So whether it's your dispatch license or perhaps a class, like I saw you took this Harvard Business School transformational leadership class, whether it's the CAM, whether it's whatever's out there that you can get your hands on to further that education, that's really what matters. I, I agree, Lindsay, that's beautifully said. Hello and welcome to the Business Aviation Collective podcast sponsored by LD Aviation. Today we get a chance to talk to Jennifer Pickering. Jennifer has been in the aviation industry, gosh, for almost 20 years. The last eight or so years she's been with Aviation Personnel International. Prior to that, she was with Medair. And prior to that, she was with the cruise line. So we're going to hear a little bit about that cruise line. We also, um, we were talking a little bit prior to uh, starting this, but uh, Jennifer is living in Minnesota and I'm originally from Minnesota. So we got a chance to kind of chat about that. But welcome, Jennifer, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Lindsay. It's such a pleasure to be here. I'm really honored to be invited. Oh, well, we appreciate you and your time and all the knowledge that you're going to bring. You have a really great background and I love all of the pieces that you have on your LinkedIn about promoting, you know, hard conversations and and aviation in general. So I wanted to kind of go back, though. You didn't start off in aviation. If I'm not mistaken, your degree is not in aviation, and that wasn't maybe your path originally. So how did you, what was your original path and how did you get to aviation? Yeah, thank you for asking. It is always a such a fun thing to hear people's kind of origin story, right? Yeah. I mean, it, and I feel like every everybody in aviation, of course, has a different story. I I did. I went to college in uh, Nebraska, the University of Nebraska at Lincoln, and was an English major. Uh, and my plan was to become a poet and a professor. Uh, cool. So I've been published a couple times, and um, and that was always a real important part of who I was. Well, cool. I graduated college, then I moved to. Arizona, and I started working and supporting myself, and I lost sight of pursuing my master's degree, mm-hmm. which, of course, I en- encourage my children that when they get to that age to do it right away. Uh, it's hard to go back. but And then from there, my husband-to-be, uh, at the time, he was a professional chef and had the opportunity to move to Florida. So we moved together, and I started working for, to your point, the cruise line. It was a luxury cruise line called, called Silver Sea Cruises, and that was my first exposure to kind of the VIP concept knowing that okay. you know these cruises were terribly expensive um and 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 their service was second to none and the expectations were incredibly high uh, and so that was my first exposure to kind of that type of service the luxury brand if you will yep. which as we all know translates well to business aviation it sure uh, does yes it does and so uh then i moved we moved back to arizona actually and because of my work in the travel industry a friend of mine had referred me to medair which was, you know, a business aviation company. I had no idea what that meant. I had no idea uh, that corporations had their own private aircraft, fleet of aircraft. I had no idea high net worth individuals and and the industry that surrounded all of that. Um, so Medair was my foray into the industry. I worked my way through the ranks there at Medair, learning all the while, attending my first NBAA where my eyes were as big as saucers. You know, there was a helicopter on the floor. There was, I mean, it was just incredible. And then actually I met Cheryl Barden at a maintenance conference and we just started chatting and uh, getting to know each other. And then she recruited me away a couple of weeks later. And so as you mentioned, I've been (laughs) here about eight years. Yeah. So 
But I loved all of my roles in business aviation. And, and I love what I do now. I really do. That's awesome. So I want to kind of back up just a little bit. You went to a maintenance conference. Not a lot of uh, females probably going to maintenance conferences. And, and that had to have been eight or so years ago. So maybe even less at that point. What brought you to the maintenance conference? Well, you know, when I was, I was still with Midair when I attended that maintenance conference and my first maintenance conference. And, and you and I both know, um, as we were even chatting earlier, there are a lot of unsung heroes in this industry. Yeah. And, and in, my, in my perspective, um, tremendous respect for the pilots, but it is a very pilot-centric industry. So for us at Midair, the maintenance personnel, as well as, honestly, scheduling and flight ops, they were incredibly important. They were integral part of, of our work, right? Because they were the ones who, on the maintenance side, were buying and selling the kits that we sold, sending them for refurbishment, the scheduling and flight ops team. They were often in charge of if we were selling a security product or doing flight following for a medical situation, we were working with that community. So I felt really lucky that I had that exposure at Manair to kind of all the different elements and some of the ones that are maybe less celebrated, right? Yeah, that's true. I, I think that's super important to be able to see all those different sections. Uh, when I worked with Cox for a little bit, we got to go and do job share kind of things. We got to go see what it was like to be in the maintenance department for a while and, and see what it was like to be part of the pilot. So yeah, that's really cool. And now you've continued, you know, being very involved in the maintenance industry and you're part of the NBAA maintenance committee, right? I am. I am. Uh-huh. Yes. And I, I love that. I love that community. I tell you, there's, there's just such a strong sense of community within that group. And, and one that I know, I just happen to know more than I know your community. I, I went to my first SMD conference two years ago and, uh-huh. and I had the same kind of feeling that I did at NBAA my first time. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been here all the time, all this time and I didn't know about it, you know? So that was wonderful. But yeah, the maintenance, you know, they, Obviously, they're in control of the airworthiness of the aircraft. Yes. So, I mean, I, you know, we wouldn't be seeing aircraft safely travel from one place to another without them. And it's lost on me that all of the things that happen in the air are largely a part of what you all do, right? In the air and on the ground. So it's amazing to, to learn about each of those components and then how they intertwine. Yeah, it really is. It's a whole team. It, it really is definitely multiple people in order to make that each and every trip go off correctly. And I think that we don't see a lot of that in our school, in our education, the way all of us are kind of coming through. Everybody knows, oh, you can go to school to be a pilot, but people don't necessarily know that there's also um, plenty of schools on uh, maintenance side, partly because there's a license, I guess, because attached to that. But the scheduling and dispatch side is also, there's more and more classes that are popping up. You can get your dispatch license, so that helps. But yeah, it's, it's not very well represented in our schools, fortunately. I agree. I agree, unfortunately. And I, that's why I, I love when I was um, looking over your website and the Business Avi- Aviation Collective, and I saw that you're championing you know, these training programs, and I thought, oh, this is so brilliant. Because there's just not a lot of opportunities for people to pursue further education in this line of work, right? So I learned just by looking at your website. I can't imagine for, I mean, that's definitely a resource I'll send people to now, right? Because I just, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I agree. I think there's just 
probably like maintenance. I don't know as much about that section, but probably like maintenance, there just is not enough resources out there and therefore not as many people even know it exists. And and very few people are like, hey, I'm going to go to college or I'm going to get finished with high school and I want to be a scheduler. Right. For me, it's a career. I love it. I, I don't want to do anything else. I don't feel like this is just an admin position, which something we were kind of talking about earlier as well. Oftentimes this position is considered admin when in reality it's not just admin. It's a it's a million things more. It really is. And there's one parallel I want to draw for you and your listening community between the maintenance and the would I say flight ops? Am I saying that correctly? Does that sure is that yeah. okay? Because you correct me if if I'm using that term incorrectly. But in the maintenance community and in the scheduling and dispatch community, you know, there's not a clear path to leadership. So Great. yes, a lot of the things that we talked about at the maintenance conference, which I think are very analogous to your community, is ways that you can raise your hand, ways that you can distinguish yourself, ways that you can actively and intentionally pursue more learnings within the department, outside of the department, make your ambitions known, you know, ways that you can distinguish yourself so that you can rise within the department to whatever role you like. There are absolutely, Lindsay, I'm sure you're familiar, there are directors of aviation who came from the flight outside. I love it. Absolutely. Yes, we're starting to see more of them. That yes. not, not a lot, but we're seeing more. And I, I have to share that, and I men- mentioned this, I gave a um, presentation at the maintenance conference, and I talked to them about representation matters. And I know a lot of times that that might have a um, trigger a tone in some people, but what I mean by that is when we go into a flight department, we be an API. If we are hired to find a director of aviation, The first thing we will ask our clients is, is this a non-flying role? And if they say, no, we want this person to be a pilot, which is a lot of the former practice, right? That's still kind of lingering. And we'll challenge that, right? We'll kind of challenge, help us understand why. And I don't mean challenge in a confrontational way, but help us understand why, you know, that that's your need or that's a requirement. And, And what we're finding, so we really advocate to look beyond the pilot ranks, right? Because right. there are asset managers and maintenance. There are, I mean, all of the things that you do in the scheduling and dispatch community from, I mean, you know better than I, but you know, all of the things relative to the aircraft and the scheduling, but then also budgets, making yeah. sure you're tying all of that together. So our first goal is to orient our potential client to the fact that there are all kinds of professionals in your organization. And it's not just the pilots who are ready to lead in that capacity. So that's great. Yeah. So the next step then, in fact, I know that Cheryl was instrumental in getting one of those directors of aviation her role from the scheduling side. So at any rate, you have to make your ambitions known though. So once there becomes representation, so you have like Deb Prasinski, you have Kelly Rittenhouse, right? In your community, you have Rose, you have the ranks of director of aviation. When we go to our clients and we kind of challenge this assumption or this this thinking that they've been predicated on for so many years, they will say to us, well, tell us other companies who are doing this. Mm-hmm. Tell us other companies who are hiring beyond the pilot side. So we have a list. So I would encourage you in your community, you make sure you have that list handy. You know what I mean? And you make sure that 
you tap the Debs and the Kellys and for how, how do we do this? How do we replicate this? You know, that would be, and I said the same thing to maintenance. You know, you really need to make sure that you work together to identify some kind of a path because in a flight department, there might be a progression-based list for an FO to become a captain, Mm -hmm. but there's no list for a scheduler to become a dispatcher or dispatcher to become a manager or, right? So it's not fair, but those are the cards that have been dealt right now. And so you really need to take it upon yourselves, right? To to really share amongst your community how we how we rise to that. I love that. And that's a really good suggestion. You know, go out and look at those other companies that are doing it. And I'm sure the Wendy's of the world, the Kelly's, the Debs of the world, yes. right? They're yes. probably, if you want to do that, if you reach out to those, I, I would bet you hands down, they would love to talk to you about it and tell you how they made it or give you a suggestion. Now, I hope a million people don't bug <laughs> Wendy and I guess not bug not, but I hope I, I say that. Sorry, not sir. Yes. My goodness. But this is such a networking industry and people want to help. And that's great. Look at the path that other people have taken and, and get tips that way or get tips from them. Great idea. I do kind of want to see. So what are you doing on your day-to-day basis now? Because you've kind of changed roles in API over the years. You were doing client services for a while and and now you're the VP. So what what do you do on a day-to-day basis? Well, I I manage our team, which is an, an amazing or small but mighty. And I still am the lead on many of our leadership projects. So if a client comes to us for a chief pilot, a director of maintenance or above, then typically I would be assigned as the project manager, if you will. So I'm liaising with the client. You know, our process consists of us going out and visiting on site. So if LD Aviation, if you had your own airplane and you called and said, we need a new director of aviation, I would come spend the day on site and learn all about your culture. And I would meet one-on-one with your team members to ask them, independent of management's oversight, what do you love about working here? What would you change about working here? You know, we really get inside the department to try and get a handle on on all of those nuances. And then we bring that information back to the ranch, so to speak, and we work as a team and we comb through our database for candidates who have identified that type of role as their next ideal. So the, the great thing about API is that when you register with us, of course, there's no cost to register as a candidate. We, we ask you to write an autobiography. Um, we get to know you really well, independent of any opportunities. So I would be talking with you, Lindsay, about what are your goals? What are, what are your career aspirations? Um, what do you like? What do you not like? What type of culture is exciting to you? What type of leadership do you look for? Um, and so we get to know you in this really authentic way. And most of our um, registrants are passive job seekers. So our preference is that you're happy where you are. And you come to us and tell us what your next ideal job would be like. And then we write you to you if we find something that's a fit. Um, so that's my primary responsibility. And then, you know, our team is all very involved in NBAA and trying to give back. You know, so we're all members of committees, as, as you heard. Mm-hmm. So that's a real passion. And, you know, I have been at the forefront, fortunate to be at the forefront of a lot of the DEI conversations that we're having in this industry. Um, we all know there's a, a, a crisis, a talent crisis. There is, and ever since the the FAA, you know, our numbers in aviation are so dismal. 
when it comes to women and underrepresented groups, way below other STEM industries. Uh-huh. So the FAA created that Women in Aviation Advisory Board to find out why, why don't women and people from other, other and underrepresented groups come to aviation. And after a two-year study, they found it was culture. Culture was the biggest impediment to that. So mm-hmm. I thought that was very interesting too. It's a super, it's a great report if you, you're able to find it online. Okay. Um, and um, in fact, I know that Amy Spower, to help I'm saying her name correctly, she is one of the members of that advisory committee. And I know for a fact she posted on LinkedIn. But at any rate, since that discovery, if you will, we've really been championing with our DEI group endeavor to try to talk about culture, to talk about mm-hmm. community, um, to talk about what it's like to come into a department as the only whatever yeah. that is. And it's interesting because I think you and I were p- talking about how, in general, people in business aviation are really willing to lend a hand to one another. Like if I were yeah. to call, call you and say, Lindsay, I'm having this struggle, I have no doubt you would say, what can I do for you, right? Yeah, I mean, right. Seen that, you know, with my daughter, who I mentioned to you is, is getting her pilot license. She's been struggling terribly, terribly. And people in our community have said, I would love to talk with her. You know, I've been so now, the interesting thing is that it doesn't always translate to the flight department atmosphere, mm-hmm. right? You have some flight departments that are not as welcoming and are not maybe prepared to welcome somebody from an underrepresented group or a woman. And, and sometimes that's through no fault of their own if they haven't really been given any resources or they don't have anybody who's having those tough conversations with them. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the things that we champion with our group and to try to get a business aviation to get over that cultural hurdle, you know, so that we have a better reputation out there in in the big bad world, you know. I'm so glad that you guys are doing that. I've definitely been in cultures like that. I've been the only. I've also seen onlys come in and and it didn't work out because the culture just was wasn't welcoming. And and that's really too bad because in those cases that I remember, they were just wonderful people and really could have added to the whole culture and, and department and, and company, but it didn't work out. Culture wasn't the right spot for them. So you have obviously through your time, you have seen all sorts of all sorts of stuff. So you get a chance to probably see compensation lists, I would guess, and and who's getting paid what. Do you have any information of the the scheduler versus the dispatcher in the compensation realm? Because I think a lot of people in our industry are like, well, why do I get my dispatch license? What is it for? Is it going to actually help me? Do you see any bumps for dispatchers versus schedulers? I do. I do. I mean, I am speaking for API, obviously, from my vantage point and our vantage point, like any other profession, the more accreditation you have, the more yeah. professional you are perceived to be. And and the other thing, Lindsay, in fact, I just was earlier today talking to a candidate who said, I really have leadership aspirations. There's no place for me to really learn leadership skills in my flight department. What can I do? Mm-hmm. And talked about CAM, the CAM certification. Yeah. And he said, well, I've heard mixed reviews. Some people say it's valuable. And I said, listen, it demonstrates a commitment to continued education, right? Mm-hmm. And so that is always valued. And what's great is that's available to anybody and everybody. I mean, you, it doesn't matter what discipline you come from. 
But on the schedulers and dispatchers side, you know, there is this distinction. I mean, for what I, what I understand, it, you correct me if I'm wrong, when you get your dispatch license, you're literally going to ground school. Yeah, like the pilot, you are. Right? Mm-hmm. You are. So, I mean, that in and of itself, it's interesting because in Part 91 Aviation, you cannot practice as a maintenance professional unless you have an AMP, an airframe and power plant license. Okay. But in your discipline, you can practice some things without, right? So yeah. whenever you have whenever you have that duality, then it, naturally, if you have the accreditation, mm-hmm. then it's going to rise you up higher, right? Definitely. Now, I'm not saying there's a huge differential, mm-hmm. but I will say this. You and I were talking about this at the beginning of this call before we started recording. Before an industry that falls into that kind of unsung hero category, that's my own terminology, you really have to be well-versed and articulate about demonstrating your value. And this is one of those things. So if you have your dispatch license, you should absolutely talk to your, you should, when you are interviewing, when you are receiving an offer, you should make sure that it's commensurate with what your value is and what your education is. You know, don't sell yourself short. I mean, like it or not, this is a, a discipline that you're going to really have to raise your voice up in confidence and know your worth, right? Um, yeah. I mean, that's for women in general. And then in some communities, even more so, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, because like we were saying, you are the glue that holds it together, but people can't see glue. It dries invisibly. Yes. You know what I'm saying? We're all behind the scenes and that trip when it goes off, well, nobody says a thing. Um, not that we all need, you know, Oh, good attaboys every time that something goes off well. But if it's if it doesn't go off well, it certainly does come back to usually the scheduler dispatcher role, that flight ops role there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really like that continuing education piece. So whether it's your dispatch license or perhaps a class, like I saw you took this Harvard Business School transformational leadership class, whether it's the CAM, whether it's Whatever's out there that you can get your hands on to further that education, that's really what matters. I I agree, Lindsay. That's beautifully said. And, you know, I know that NBAA just came out with a course that yes, this community. And 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 please, I want to make sure that the listeners realize I'm not saying that a dispatcher is is valued more or I I, I don't want to give that impression because just like let's say a college degree, mm-hmm. you know. There might be somebody who's been a scheduler for 20 years and they know everything and more that you can get in a dispatch license. Sure. So that's not yeah. to say that, that trumps everything. I just want to be careful uh, to not offend. I, I just, I appreciate you making that point because it really is just about how have I continued my education? You know, how have I continued to try to further myself in whatever vein? And the other thing too, I said to this candidate earlier today was, you know, committee work, volunteer work, that's a great way. To kind of walk into the shallow end of leadership, you know, if you start on a committee and then over time you volunteer to be, you know, the vice chair and then you make your way to the chair. As a recruiter, I've had people say to me, well, there's no opportunity for leadership in my department, but I went into, I went to the schedulers and dispatchers committee and I'm on this and I do that. And that absolutely comes into play, you know, and yeah, it's a great place to network. So, I mean, that's like a no brainer, right? If you're if your company will allow you that time to participate, even in a, a small way at first, that's kind of the way to dip your toe in the water. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, go out there. I, everybody's 
all the committees are always looking for help. And there's committees in a million different specific items. So maybe you want to plan events. If you like events, I'm sure the S&D committee could help get some help in planning an event. Or maybe you like, I know I did some on the small operators, the domestic operators conference, and I really like the small operators. So there's a division for specifically small operators. So I got to find that. But yeah, there's opportunities in just about any specific field or or idea that you want to go for. Yeah. And and I just, I'd be remiss not to mention the regional groups too, right? So that's the other thing, you know, S&D is fantastic. But then like, so here it's the Minnesota Business Aviation Association, you know, and they have a scholarship committee and they have an events committee and they have, so there's lots of opportunities, right? And if there's something there locally for you, I would definitely encourage you to look into it. Because a lot of that stuff you might be able to do in your own time if your company is, and I realize not everybody has access or has the opportunity to do that, but a lot of those functions are usually in the evening, you know, like a happy hour or whatever. And so I'm sure that you could find a way to participate if that's your desire, you know. Definitely. Which that brings me to like two questions. I wanted to kind of talk about employee versus contractor, remote versus in, in office. But before I head that way, Oh, my entire team is remote. I'm remote. I've been remote for 10 years almost now, which personally, I love it. But I don't get a chance to see a lot of people. So going back to that, joining your regional group and joining a committee, that allows allows you to meet more people, which almost, I would say, 99% of the time opens up doors to something else. And you don't know what that something else is is yet, but you'll know it when you get there. And um, I think I lack that now from working at home. So those additional pieces to the community, you know, joining other things in the community are very important, more important, I would argue, than before when I was going to the office and I was having those interactions with the entire flight department on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I got off on a tangent, but I really think with this remote world, you just have to do more with other people. I, I really agree. And you and I, it's so funny, we have that in common. I was doing the math the other day and I've been remote for over a decade now. And our entire workforce at API is a dispersed workforce. And so yeah. we all talk about, you know, where we really get our energy is when we get to go to conferences and we get to meet up with all the people that, you know, we formed relationships with in the industry, friends, professionals and everything in between. And so if you have that, to your point, too, in the backyard at your regional, I couldn't agree more. I think that's a really good point, Lindsay. If you're remote, even more reason to kind of push yourself out of your comfort zone. It can be hard. It can be hard to show up, you know, as the one I still I still get nervous, you know, walking into a networking event if I'm by myself. And yeah. so, you know, and the other plug I'll just make is you know, that LinkedIn can be a really great tool for networking as well. And I'll tell, I I volunteer with a lot of college aviation programs just to try and get the word of business aviation out there. And I talked to them about how, you know, I could put in like, you know, Sam Smith at, let's say you want to, there's a particular company that you're interested in. So in this (laughs) case, I'll at Netflix, let's say, and it'll, or you could put in pilot at Netflix or scheduler at Netflix, and it would pull up anybody on LinkedIn who's registered in that capacity. And then you can send them a private message and just say, I'm new to the industry, or 
you know, I, I see that you've been at Netflix, let's say for five years, would you be willing to have a conversation with me? And I often share that as a tip for people who are a little intimidated, like me, to do the in-person network. Sure. It's a really nice way, a less threatening, if you will, way sure. to get to know people, right? So I just wanted to mention that as well. That's a great idea. I hadn't I hadn't thought about that. And um, you know, I've got I've got two teenagers heading heading that way towards college at some point here, I think. And I, I'm gonna pass that along to them. Cause I definitely have one that's like, mm, I, I don't think she would really enjoy going out maybe at yeah. first and trying to just meet people straight in person. So that's a great tip. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I'll just say one more quick thing on that. What's great about that too is let's say you're entertaining a job offer from a mm-hmm. company you want to know, it can be hard to understand the cultural nuances of a company when you only get to interview once or twice before you're potentially offered a job. Mm-hmm. So you could put in anything at said company mm-hmm. and look at those people and then ask if they're willing to have a conversation about you with you about their culture. Or just by looking at the people, you might be able to say, oh, wow, it's almost all millet, former military. Or sure, wow, you know, you could identify cultural similarities so that I just... I'm always cautious about people not doing their research before they take a job. <laughs> so that is one of the pieces of research that I always really encourage um, is to try to get to know as much about their culture as you can. Very important. Very important. So what about, I'm kind of thinking, we, so we work with a lot of smaller flight departments, right? And a lot of them don't have huge lists of people on LinkedIn. Yeah. Any tips on, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, I guess, but any tips on how to do that? Maybe when you can't find somebody that you might be able to talk to? Because mm-hmm. we do replace, like we come in sometimes and we'll help somebody out and, and take care of their scheduling because maybe their scheduler has left and they don't have a new person. I find it hard sometimes to get those smaller companies' culture figured yeah, out. That's, I mean... So that's when you probably have to cast a a wider net the first time around. You know, I mean, the good thing, like you and I were talking about, in the world, it's maybe six degrees of separation. In our aviation community, it's what, maybe three three degrees of separation. Yeah. So what I would probably do is reach out to somebody who I know maybe in the region, reach out to somebody that I think is fairly well connected. And I would say, do you know anybody who works here? Do you know of anybody who knows of somebody who works, you know, and just kind of start asking that way. It's a great idea. And there's also, there's always a lot of, um, I mean, you have to take it with a grain of salt, but you know, if it's a small business, could you go to your small business operators committee and say, does anybody know anything about XYZ company? Or do you know somebody there? You know, so that's, that's when I think I would really dive into my network and figure out. And there again is the importance of building that network. That's a great idea. And MBAA, I believe, still has that search engine. So you could put in the air the airport yeah. and maybe find other operators that you could reach out to that are on that that's same dinner idea. Lindsay. Yes, that's huh. a great idea. <laughs> Stay together, we will come out know, come up with an awesome idea. I love it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I did I had been interested to know. Do you see change or what do you what do you see as far as employee versus contractor i kind of mentioned this a little bit before but employee uh, versus contractor are companies tending towards one or the other um you know of course depends on the size of the operation okay. um i i will tell you from a schedule and dispatch perspective 
we've talked and I've referred to you, Thank you know, you. yes, definitely some smaller flight departments who don't know if they have enough work for a full-time. I'm sure that this is, you're familiar yep. with this kind of scenario. Don't know if they have enough work for a full-time scheduler. Don't know if they want to take on the headcount of a permanent employee, but they know like this one particular flight department, in fact, it was because they were absent that function, all of those duties were falling to the pilots, which was actually making the job not at all competitive. Sure. That makes sense, right? It so, sure does. Yep. And candidates are asking us, well, what are the ancillary duties? And I say, well, they don't have a scheduler, so you have to X this, this, that, and the other. They're like, oh, you know, yep. it's pilots are paying top and being paid top notch right now. So mm -hmm. those things get really competitive in that matter. So anyway, my point is, I think more and more operators are realizing the importance of at minimum having a contract person. And, you know, I find that if they're using contract personnel, it's likely because they don't know or they don't have the budget potentially for a full, you know, mm -hmm. full time FTE. Sure. And I, so I, that's the way I see them used most often. And similarly on the pilot side, maybe they have a full roster, but you know, they use the contract pilots for absences and, you know, yeah. things like that. So, and that's become even more popular now, right? I mean, and I think one thing that's interesting with this younger generation, you know, this side hustle, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that this whole notion, and um, I think there are more people moving into the contracting space, like realizing they can be their own boss. They can, I mean, you probably have some interesting yep. insight into that, but we've definitely seen that yeah. in the pilot community. You know, that, well, I mean, I could go make this amount of money or I can be my own boss and make, you know, so there's positive and negative both. But and some job sharing, we've seen some kind of creative things that way. You I know, think that's a cool new thing. Not new, yeah. I guess, but I think we're going to see some changes in with job sharing coming up. And it, I agree. I, I that's agree. Super exciting. I think so, too. And I, I look forward to, you know, this younger generation has a very different understanding of the employer-employee relationship. And I think they're really going to push us to challenge a lot of the norms, you know, that we've practiced over the years. And when we recently were hiring talent for API, I very intentionally set out, we intentionally set out to find somebody of a younger generation because we knew, for one thing, they have a wealth of information. When we hired Lisa Burrile, who's really, she's um, on the S&D committee and runs the ed the education sessions Anyway, we're incredibly proud of her. But, you know, when we hired her, we said, we hope to learn as much from you as you do from us, you know, and that that really should be the mindset, right, is I would really encourage people to be open-minded <laughs> to what that generation has to say, because I think yeah. that they're just not willing to put up with a lot of stuff we kind of had to. So anyway, I'm kind of curious to see the impact they make. And I think it's going to be positive. I really do. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I just remember just the change in remote. And of course, um, the pandemic changed a lot of that as well. But right. early in my career, there is no way anybody was doing remote. Like it was like, butt in the chair, you had to be there. It is not as necessary. I mean, I know some people really want somebody to greet the male person or perhaps greet passengers on the way out. And those are still valid requirements and everything. But right. certainly right. not on a, you know, eight to five time frame. So yeah, I I like the changes that are coming in. I, and I really think you're right. We're going to see some more exciting and I guess we'll call them strange, strange to us, 
idea <laughs> and innovations in that section. Right, right. I'm excited to see how it goes. So mm-hmm. I guess we'll be, maybe we can incorporate some of those at LDA as well, because we want to harness that younger group as well. Yeah, I, I, I really think they have so much to teach us. And it's the more, most diverse population ever. Sure. They are the most diverse. So I think that in and of itself is super interesting, right? So they have a, a you know, a different sense of community. They have a different, I mean, it's, they have a lot of, and I, and I know, you know, it's very typical for people for one generation to kind of condemn the generation that's following that, you know, oh, yeah. kids, you're not, you know, but that's the way it always is, right? So <laughs> anyway, yes, I encourage, I think that'd be great if you tapped into some of that talent and, and got their take on some of these things, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, Jennifer, you have like a ton of experience and a lot of classes that you've gone to. Does that mean you like to read? Do you read uh, books as well or listen to podcasts? And the reason I'm asking, I'm looking for some suggestions maybe for our listeners of maybe a good book that you've read or a podcast that you've listened to lately. So um, for this program that I just recently went through, which was an 18-month program, uh, the one where I had uh, had instruction at INSEAD and Harvard, we had to read a ton. And I do have one, one good recommendation. But a lot of it was on gender equality, um, culture, the transformational leadership, things of that sort. But one book really stood out to me. So I've taken a little bit of a break from reading just because there was so much. Oh, 18 months. Yeah. And, and truth be told, I you could find me at any conference and I'll have a book of poetry so that is always a standby for me. But there's a book called Forged in Crisis that's by Nancy. I want to say her last name is Hane, but it's okay. like O-H-E-N or it's a, kind of a different spelling. But what she she is a historical researcher and she took its five segments, one about a different what each segment about a different leader. So, for instance, one is about Abraham Lincoln and a very tumultuous time in his career. So she takes a leader and zeroes in on a time of crisis. And she then talks about how that crisis helped form their leadership identity. And what I love so much about the book is that it's really interesting because she's just a great factual, if you like history at all, she just does a great job and it's not like boring history, you know? (laughs) Got it. Good. (laughs) Really interesting. But she talks about how leaders are are not born. You know, leaders have made. And, yeah. and that while I think a lot of leadership is instinctual, you know, there's so much to be learned. And what I also love is all of these leaders in each of these segments, they're just wracked with self-doubt and they're incredibly vulnerable. They don't know what to do. You know, when the crisis hits, they're privately wringing their hands. And so it was just really nice to be able to say, okay, I'm not alone. Like even these remarkable people, you know, there were times in their life where they didn't know which road to take. Mm-hmm. So I, I found that just very reassuring and it makes you realize that leadership is, good leadership is attainable. I mean, you, you, we can learn to do those things. You know, we can learn to to become leaders through crisis, if you will. So that, well, that way I want to. I think that's a wonderful um, statement. You can learn it. So maybe you don't feel like you are a leader or leader quality or anything like that right now, but you can learn it and you just go through life and you gather more and more education. Like you said before, that's yeah, yeah. super great. Yeah. 
And I will say this, you know, if you're in a situation, if anybody listening to this is in a situation where maybe you aren't happiest at your job or you're struggling with a leader who maybe isn't kind of an aspirational leader, when I look back on my career, I learned so much from those people too. Even if you're learning what not to do, right? Even if you're <laughs> sure. learning, I mean, that really is valuable information. And so that's when I've been in a tough spot in my career in that type of a situation, I've tried to turn it turn my perspective, right, to, okay, this is a crummy situation, but let me learn what I can, even if it's what not to do or what yeah. type of impact, you know what I mean? So just uh, just a little hint, because we've all been there, right? Where you, or yeah. it's, it's, it's tough coming to work if you don't enjoy work. So right. anyway, just yep. throwing that out here. Another great suggestion. That's awesome. Okay, I have two short, I think, short questions here for you, okay. and then we'll wrap it up. First one is, okay, you mentioned you were published earlier. In the way in the beginning, did oh. you publish poetry? Uh, yes, what? but you know, in our collegiate journal, it wasn't like a you know bestseller by any means. But yes, that's I had so cool read, though. It was way back when. So um, sometime in my future years, I would love to to dabble in that again. That's well, still something I love to do because I love the creativity. You know that, and that's something that you know you said at the beginning of the program when you and I started chatting. You know, if you can find a way to work those creative elements into your daily life or into your work life, and if not, then on the side. So that, for me, is something I still like to dabble in. Nice. That's cool. I remember you saying that, and I was like, I want to ask her about that. So, yeah. And, okay, so Jennifer, last question. It should be an easy one. If somebody wanted to reach out to you and maybe ask you a couple questions, how would they find you? Yeah. So find me on LinkedIn. Fortunately, the last name Pickerel, P-I-C-K-E-R-E-L, is not very common. So Jennifer Pickerel, um, find me on LinkedIn, connect with me. I'd love to connect with you and then send me a message Great. and we can chat. I, I would welcome that. Wonderful. That's so very generous of you, Jennifer, and generous with your time as well today. Thank you so much. And it was great hearing about all of your ex expertise and all your experience. And um, I'm sure you've inspired somebody along the way here. So, <laughs> well. So right back at you, Lindsay. Such a pleasure to be here. What a fun experience. And I'm yeah. so impressed by all you've done. Yeah. And we'll have lunch one of these days when I come up to Minnesota then. Yes, we better. There's all kinds of fun places we can go. That's for sure. Perfect. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thanks again, Jennifer. And uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening. Please stay tuned for more episodes and check out our website for up and coming podcasts. This has been a production of the Business Aviation Collective sponsored by LD Aviation.